Chapter 15 of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter 15 In the morning, before the gulf had been gilded by the sun's first rays, Salik knocked at the door of the rooms in the caravanserai. Captain Antifer, who had not slept an hour, was on foot in a moment, and Jewel was with him almost immediately. The boat is ready, announced Salik. We follow you, said Jewel. And the bargeman? exclaimed Antifer. You see, he sleeps like a porpoise between two waters. I will go and give him a shake that will wake him. And off he went to the resting place of the said porpoise, who was snoring with both hands closed. But the shake from that vigorous arm soon opened his hands and his eyes also. Meanwhile, Jewel, as had been agreed, went to inform the notary and Nazim. They were both ready, Nazim having some difficulty in restraining his impatience, Ben Omar very pale and very unsteady on his feet. When Salik saw the two Egyptians appear on the scene, he could not restrain a movement of surprise, which did not escape the young captain. And was not this astonishment justified? Here were these people, of such different nationalities, not only knowing each other, but going to embark together for an exploration of the Gulf? Surely that was enough to provoke the detective's surprise. Do these two strangers intend to come with you? he asked Jewel. Yes, replied Jewel, with some embarrassment. They are traveling companions. We were on the same steamer from Suez to Muscat. And you are acquainted with them? Certainly, that they have been kept apart from us is due to my uncle being in such a bad temper. Evidently, Jewel was making matters worse by his explanations. After all, he was not obliged to say anything to Salik. The Egyptians came because he chose that they should come. Salik said no more, although the matter seemed more mysterious than ever, but he decided to keep as close a watch on the Egyptians as on the Frenchmen. Captain Antifer now appeared, towing along the bargeman, like a tug bringing out a merchantman. And we might continue the metaphor by describing him as a merchantman just beginning to set sail, for he was still half asleep. We need scarcely say that Antifer would take no notice of Ben Omar or Nazim. He hurried along, with Salik at his side, the others following him, toward the harbor. At the end of the jetty lay a perm, a two-masted vessel, moored bow and stern, her mainsail in the brails. All that was wanted was to set it, ease away the sheet and the mizzen sheet, and be off to sea. This perm, the Berbera, had a crew of twenty men a much more numerous crew than was required to handle a vessel of fifty tons. Jewel noticed this, but took care to say nothing, and he soon noticed that of these twenty men, only half appeared to be sailors. In fact, these were Sohar police, embarked under Salik's orders. Under such circumstances, no man of sense would have given half a crown for the four millions of Kamalik's legatee. That is, if he found them on the island. Three of the passengers jumped on board the Berbera with the agility of sailors. But to tell the truth, the perm gave a sensible list of port under the weight of the bargeman. There would have been some difficulty in getting the notary on board, for his heart failed him, and Nazim had to catch him around the body and hoist him in. As soon as the rolling began, Ben Omar fled to the house in the stern, and there began to weep and groan. The instruments were embarked with many precautions, particularly the chronometer which Tregamin carried in a handkerchief, of which he held the four corners. The captain of the perm, an old, rough-looking Arab, slackened off the hawsers, set sail, 
and at Jules' orders, interpreted by Salik, headed off to the northeast. They were now on the direct road to the island. With the wind in the west, they ought to be there in twenty-four hours. But nature delights in troubling men. The breeze was favorable, but overhead the clouds were driving across the sky. Something else was required than to run to the northeastward. The island had to be reached. And to do this, the two observations of latitude and longitude were necessary. The first in the forenoon, the second when the sun passed the meridian. To take the altitude, the solar disk must deem to show itself, and on this occasion the capricious luminary obstinately refused to appear. Captain Antiver strode up and down the deck of the Berbera in a desperate state of feverish agitation, watching the sky much more than he did the sea. It was not an island he was looking for on the horizon, but the sun amid the mists of the east. Seated near the taffrail, the bargeman shook his head in token of disappointment. Jewel, leaning on the right of him, betrayed his disgust by a significant pout. Delays, still delays. Would this journey never end? And hundreds and hundreds of leagues away in a little house at St. Malo, he thought he could see his dear Enogate, expecting a letter which could not yet have reached her. But suppose the sun does not appear, asked the bargeman. It will be impossible for me to do anything, said Jewel. But if there is no sun, cannot you calculate our position by the moon and stars? Of course. But the moon is new, and as to the stars, I'm afraid that the night will be as cloudy as the day. And besides, they are rather complicated observations, and not easily made in a lively vessel like this perm. The wind began to freshen. Large wreaths of cloud accumulated in the west, as if the mists had been vomited forth from some inexhaustible volcano. The bargeman found matters rather dull. He clasped on his knees the chronometer confided to his charge, while Jewel waited in vain to use the sextant he held in his hand. And in the bow of the perm were heard inarticulate cries and incessant objurgations. These were due to Captain Antifer, who varied the proceedings by actually shaking his fist at the sun, as if that could do any good. The sun, however, did appear. Now and then a ray would shoot between through a rift in the clouds. But the rift closed almost instantly, and there was no means of keeping the sun long enough in view to obtain its altitude. Jewel tried again and again, but the sextant fell back without being used. The Arabs are not very familiar with the use of nautical instruments. The men in the perm could not make out what the young captain was trying at. Salik, who was rather better educated than the others, did not trouble himself as much as he might about the importance Jewel evidently attached to this observation of the sun. Everyone could see that the passengers were much disturbed. Antifer strode about like the maniac he threatened to become. When Tregomain and Jewel invited him to breakfast, he abruptly refused, and, contenting himself with a piece of bread, went to the mainmast and forbade anybody to speak to him. The afternoon brought no change in the state of the atmosphere. To leeward, the clouds remained banked up. The sea was rough and seemed to smell something, as sailors say. What it smelt was a storm, one of those southwest storms which so often devastate the Gulf of Oman. The storm swooped fiercely down on the Berbera. With her sails reefed down, she could not keep her course. Her freeboard was low, and the huge waves threatened to swamp her every minute. There was only one thing to do. Run to the northeast. Jewel noticed, as Antifer might have done had he been paying attention to what went on, that the captain of the perm handled her carefully and skillfully. His crew displayed the coolness and courage of tried sailors. 
It was not the first time that these brave fellows were struggling against a storm in the gulf, but it was only part of the crew who seemed to be accustomed to these furious tempests. The rest were extended on the deck and showed themselves very uncomfortable at the behavior of the perm. Evidently, these men had never been to sea before. The idea occurred to Jewel that the police were following his uncle. That Salik, perhaps, decidedly matters looked bad for the legatee of Kamalik Pasha. Saud could not be otherwise than furious with this bad weather. If the storm lasted some days, no observation would be possible, and how could he determine the position of the island? Finding it useless to remain on deck, he took refuge in the cabin, where Ben Omar was being rolled from side to side, like a cask which had broken its seasons. After a refusal from Captain Antifer, whom they had asked to come with them, Jewel and the bargemen resolved to abandon the foot of the mast, where they were sheltered by the tarpaulin, and went to lie down on the crew's benches. Our expedition seems to be turning out badly, murmured Tregamine. That is my opinion, said Jewel. Let us hope that the weather will improve tomorrow, and that we can get an altitude. Let us hope so. And he did not add that it was not only the state of the atmosphere he was anxious about. The sun would shine some day, even on the Gulf of Oman. They would find the island if it existed. But how about these suspicious fellows on board the Barbera? The night was dark and misty, and a little vessel was in great danger. Not so much from her buoyancy, which kept her rising to the waves and escaping their foaming crests, as from the sudden burst of wind, which would often have capsized her had it not been for the seaman-like ability of her old captain. After midnight, the wind began to moderate, owing to a persistent fall of rain. Perhaps a change of weather was preparing for the morning. No, and when the day returned, Although clouds were not as stormy as before, and the atmosphere was not disturbed by violent squalls, the sky was nonetheless veiled with vapor. To the abundant showers of the night succeeded the fine rain of low clouds, which, having no time to form itself into large drops, pours down in sheets of mist. When Jewel arrived on deck, he could not restrain a gesture of disappointment. But the sky in this state, an observation, was hopeless. Where could the perm be now? after the changes of course and the uncertainties as to the direction in which they had been subjected during the night. The captain knew the Gulf of Oman well, but where he was, he could not tell. There was no land in sight. Had they passed the island? Not unlikely, and it might be that the Barbera had been driven eastwards much further than was desirable. Antifer had left his tarpaulin and posted himself in the bow. How he fumed again and gesticulated when he had looked around the horizon. But he had not said a word to his nephew, and remained standing near the starboard cathead. But if Joel took care to say nothing to his uncle, he had to submit to several questions from Salik, to which he could only reply evasively. The interpreter approaching him said, The day promises badly, sir. Very badly. You cannot use your instrument for looking at the sun? I'm afraid not. What will you do, then? I will wait. I would remind you that the perm only carries provisions for three days, and if the bad weather continues, we shall have to return to Sohar. Exactly. In that case, will you give up your project of exploring the Gulf of Oman? Probably, or at least we'll put it off until a better season. Will you wait at Sohar? At Sohar or at Muscat, it does not matter which. The young captain maintained a well-justified reserve now that he suspected Salik, who failed to obtain the information he wanted. The bargemen appeared on deck almost at the same time as Saouk. 
one made a pout of disappointment, the other a gesture of anger, at seeing the mists that formed the horizon two or three cable lengths from the Barbera. "'Nothing moving?' asked Tregomaine, shaking Jules' hand. "'Nothing.' "'And our friend?' "'He's over there. Forward.' "'If he is not taking a header overboard,' murmured Tregomaine, "'and it was always his fear that Antifer would end in this way.' The morning passed under such conditions as these. The sextant remained in its box as useless as if it had been a lady's necklace in its case. Not a solar ray pierced the thick curtain of mist. At noon, the chronometer, which Tregomaine had brought up for conscience sake, could not fix the longitude by showing the difference of time. The afternoon was just as unfavorable, and although an account was kept of the course, the whereabouts of the Berbera were but imperfectly known. That this was so appeared from a remark made by the captain of the perm to Salik, that if the weather did not change in the morning, he would steer westward for the land. Where would he meet with it? At Sohar? At Muscat? Or further to the north, toward the Straits of Ormuz? Or further south, near Raz el Had? Sleek thought it was his duty to let Jewel know the captain's intentions. Be it so, said Jewel. And that was his only reply. Nothing occurred up to nightfall. When the sun sank below the mists in the west, not a ray pierced them. But the rain gradually became lighter until it was as fine as spindrift. This was probably an indication for some change in the weather. The wind went down until it became but gentle, intermittent puffs. During these intermittencies, the bargeman, wetting his hand and exposing it to the air, thought he felt a light breeze rising in the east. Ah, said he, if I was only on the Charmante Amalie, between the delightful banks of the Rance, I should know what to do. But the Charmante Amalie had been sold as firewood years before, and it was not between the delightful banks of the Rance that the perm was sailing. Jewel made the same observation as Tregomaine. Besides, it seemed to him as though when the sun sank below the horizon, it shot up one ray through the clouds, as if through a crack in the door. Probably Antifer had noticed this ray, for his eye brightened, and replied to the solar ray by a ray of fury. The night came, and at supper the provisions were served sparingly. It was reported that only enough remained for twenty-four hours, hence the necessity of regaining the land next day, or at least making sure that the Barbera was not very far away from it. The night was calm, the sea rapidly grew smoother, as generally happens in narrow gulfs. Gradually the wind hauled to the east, and the perm had to be put on the starboard tack. But owing to the uncertainty as to the vessel's position, the captain, at Jules' advice, decided to lay two until daylight. By three o'clock in the morning, the sky, completely cleared of the mist overhead, became brilliant with its last constellations. Everything promised a good observation. The sun rose from the horizon in full splendor, and Tregomaine politely took off his hat to it by way of salute. It can easily be imagined what a pleasant change this meant for all. With what impatience all, passengers and sailors, waited for the hour when the observation would be made. The Arabs now knew that the Europeans had the means of determining the ship's position exactly, although no land was in sight. And they were anxious to know if the Berbera was still in the Gulf, or had been driven past Cape Ras al-Had. The sun rose on a sky of admirable clearness. Nothing to fear, not a cloud to veil it, when the young captain judged the moment had come to obtain the meridional height. A little before noon, Jewel made his preparations. Antifer placed himself by his side, 
his lips closed, his eyes burning, without saying a word. The bargeman stood on the right, nodding his big red head. Saouk was behind. Salik was to the left, ready to follow the details of the operation. Jewel, quite equal to the occasion, with his legs firmly apart, seized the sextant in his left hand and directed the glass toward the horizon. The perm rose gently to the undulations of a gentle swell. As soon as the altitude was taken, it is done, said Jewel. And reading the figures on the graduated limb, he descended to the cabin to make his calculations. Twenty minutes afterwards, he returned to the deck and reported the result of his observation. The perm was in latitude 25 degrees, two minutes north. She was consequently three minutes further to the south than the latitude of the island. To complete the operation, it was necessary to measure the horary angle. Never had the hours appeared longer to Captain Antifer, to Jewel, to the bargeman, to Sayuk. It seemed as though the much-desired moment would never come. Meanwhile, the Berbera was given a more southerly course, at Jewel's request. At half-past two, the young sailor took a series of altitudes, while the bargeman noted the time of the chronometer. The calculations gave the longitude at 54 degrees, 28 minutes. The perm was a minute too far to the east for the long-sought island. Almost immediately there was a shout. One of the arrows pointed to a blackish mound about two miles to the west. "'My islet!' exclaimed Antifer. And it could only be the islet, for there was no other land in sight. And Antifer began to twitch and jump as if he had seen Vitus's dance. So the Tregomain had to interfere and hold him in his powerful arms. Immediately the perm was steered straight for the island. The slight breeze from the east took her there in half an hour. Reckoning the distance run since the observation, Jules satisfied himself that the island agreed with the position given by Kamalik Pasha. The latitude bequeathed by Thomas Annifer to his son was 24 degrees, 59 minutes north. The longitude brought to St. Malo by Ben Omar was 54 degrees, 57 minutes east. And as far as the eye could range, there was no other land in sight. End of chapter 15